The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is Jeff Long. I serve as the lead pastor here. I'll be sharing the word with you today from Psalm 35. If you don't have a copy of the Bible to look with us, there's one under a chair in front of you. We're on page 464. Now, while you're finding your place and before we read the text, let me offer a little explanation to those of you who are new to Parkwood. Um, I preach expositionally. That means I preach book by book, verse by verse through the Bible. That doesn't mean I started at Genesis and working my way straight through. We move different ways, and I want to explain that part. But we're currently working through the Psalms, and today we come to Psalm 35. Now, I'll just be honest. Probably a handful of you, if any of you, have ever heard a sermon on Psalm 35. And you'll understand that in a few minutes uh, as to why you probably have not, because quite frankly, people don't know what to do with a psalm like Psalm 35. So I didn't either. I was here till seven o'clock last night. I'm usually not here on Saturday. But anyway, uh, I'm going to answer the question, why is this in the Bible? And what do you do with it? And it is a part of the word of God, and it's here for a reason and for us to apply it. So in reverence to and in honor of the word, would you stand as Joseph reads, verses 1 through 10. Psalms 35, verses 1 through 10 of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and the, the, spear and the javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who see, who des, who des, who, excuse me, who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. And let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it, to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exalting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and the needy from him who robs him. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that you will lead us to rightly divide the word of truth that you will lead me in the preaching of your word and that you'll lead your people in the receiving of your word. And Lord, we recognize that while I am here yet preaching, there are faithful churches all around the world, even in this moment, preaching the gospel. And I pray particularly for Ryland Sloop, who is taking his stand congregationally to preach his first sermon today. Empower him by the spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So I'll start with a question. What do you do when you hear that over 200 young girls 
from a village in Nigeria who were targeted primarily because they were Christians were kidnapped by Boko Haram and forced to become wives. What do you do with that? Well, Psalm 35 answers the question. And here's what we want to see. This is our main idea today. That the servants of the Lord look to the divine warrior for vindication and deliverance. Psalm 35, it's a big word, is one of what is called an imprecatory psalm. There are about 16 of them in the Psalter in terms of containing an imprecatory prayer. Psalm 35 is an entire imprecatory psalm, meaning it is a prayer for judgment from the Lord against the enemies of God's people. A prayer for judgment from the Lord against the enemies of God's people. Now, this is important. David never asked to take vengeance for himself on his enemies. He's asking God to be his avenger. That's crucial to understanding the psalm. Now, here's what happens. We had this discussion around Parkwood all week. Some people would read the psalm, and I think at your first reading of the psalm, you would go, this, this is contrary to the New Testament. Jesus said, love your enemies. I, I don't see how this squares up. I, I, this, this, this doesn't connect to me. All right. Understand your dilemma. So let's just deal with your dilemma partly right off the bat. So let's turn to Romans 12. Romans 12. One of the passages that's in your mind, whether you know it or not, if you've been around the Bible at all, at very long at all, is Romans chapter 12. Where from the onset, in verse 14, Paul quotes Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount when he says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. He's quoting Matthew 5, 44. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. There's not a period there, there's a comma. Never avenge yourselves, comma, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Everybody look up here and hear me. God's holy, we're not. God's just, we're not. That's why we don't take justice into our own hands personally. However, that does not mean that justice is not coming, because it is. So in the face of injustice, we, we, we look to the Lord, who is the just one. This is a quote. God would be less glorious, less great, less good, and less than God, if he continued to allow evil 
to flourish without destroying the wicked. The day of reckoning is coming, my friend. It is coming. Until that day, what do we do when we see evil, particularly today we're, we're, we're narrowing ourselves, when we see evil being directed at the follower of Christ? What do we do with that? David gives us a model here. In Psalm 35, it has three major parts. They mirror each other. So in each of these three major parts, David pleads his cause to the Lord. He offers a prayer. He requests of the Lord. And the third thing he does is he promises to praise the Lord. So instead of taking all three of those sections, I decided let's look at each of the three things he does in the psalm. So first, David pleads his cause before the the Lord, the divine warrior. Verse 1, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Now, this is language of a courtroom. So he's asking the Lord to, to contend on his behalf with those who are making contention against him. Then he shifts from courtroom language to warlike language. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise up and help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. So what David is doing right away is summoning heaven's warrior to fight his battle. This is a vivid metaphor. He's picturing the Lord as coming forth armed for battle and placing himself between David and his enemies. Now, why would he do this? Where would he have this kind of thought even in his mind? Turn to Exodus 15 and I'll give you one example. In Exodus chapter 14, whether you're very familiar with the Bible or not, you probably know the story of of God parting the Red Sea. The people of Israel have fled Egypt. The Egyptian army is bearing down on them. God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel cross. Then God crushes Pharaoh's army in the sea. At the end of 14, here's what it says. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day. From the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Now the response is a song. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And do you hear that in David's Psalm 35? Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Verse, end of the verse. This is my God, I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. Then he says it. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Some of your translations say, the Lord is a warrior. Now, with that in David's mind, he he offers and pleads his cause to the divine warrior and says, fight for me. Fight on my behalf. Take up the shield and the buckler. In verse 7, He explains why this is happening. 
back in chapter 35. For without cause, they hid their net from me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. So what's the reason? The answer is there's not one. They don't have a reason. It's without cause that they're pursuing David. It is without cause that they want David dead, which, which needs to remind us that sometimes, sometimes we're going to suffer unjustly and sometimes we're going to suffer unjustly as Christians. So Peter said to the believers in chapter 2, verse 19 of 1 Peter, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly becomes a gospel opportunity for us to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, to walk in the footsteps of David and those who have gone before us. He continues to plead his case in Psalm 35. We pick up in verse 11, which is the second stanza. Malicious witnesses rise up, so we're back in the courtroom. They ask of me things I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. Or bereaved. This is, this is a strong Hebrew word that means that, that David is so bereaved in his soul, the only similarity that the, the Hebrew word points at, sorrow over the death of a child. He's broken deeply within because this is happening. And he says, when, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I was grieved for my friend or my brother which seems to indicate he's talking about Saul here. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. So when these people were sick and going through difficulty and hardship, he was grieving with them and praying for them. But verse 15 says, but at my stumbling. So the moment stumbling started for David, they rejoiced. And not only did they rejoice, they got together. They gathered against me, wretches whom I did not know, tore at me without ceasing. Now, this is a mob mentality. When it says tore at me, it's really a vivid language. But they're not physically attacking him because verse 16 shows us. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. Now, when we come to the third section, we start to understand this a little more as he unfolds yet more as he pleads his cause. He says, let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. Let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause, for they do not speak peace. But against those who are in a quiet land, they devise words of deceit. So the people who are not a part of this, they're reaching out to them saying, join us. Join us in ridiculing David. They open wide their mouths against me and say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. Now, what does that mean? I don't have time to take you to the other places. But what this means is they're coming to this conclusion. David's God's man. Look at what's happening to David. He's got hardship. That must prove he's not God's man. He can't be. <laughs> he's a loser. Now, before I move off of this, we've got to make the connection to the New Testament clearly because Jesus does it. So I want you to turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. In 
verse 20, Jesus said, Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus is saying, hey, what you've seen happen to me and what they don't know is what you're about to see happen to me. It's going to happen to you. But know this too, brothers. If they listen to me, they're going to listen to you. Now, people listen to Jesus. You know how I know that? He was talking to the people who listened to him. They're going to listen to you. Then he says in verse 23, Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Then he draws the conclusion. But the word that it was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Where do you get that? Psalm 35. So here's what Jesus is saying. When David wrote, they hated me without cause, he was talking about something personal in his life, but David was a type of the one who was to come. It's a prophecy of the one who was to come. That Christ himself was going to be hated without cause. Now you wrap your mind around this right now. The most unjust moment in the history of humanity was the treatment of the sinless Savior, Jesus Christ. He did not deserve anything that was handed down to him. Nothing. He was treated as a, as a mocker. He was treated as a person who profaned the name of God. He was treated as a sinner. He was dragged into a false trial he had false witnesses against him. The trial was not even handled correctly. He was handed over and sentenced to death and died an unjust death on the cross. He did not deserve it. So why did God allow it? Because I deserved it. That's why. Because you deserved it. Jesus took what he did not deserve upon himself because in that he took what we deserved, the vindication of God. He bore the wrath of God on our behalf. And three days later, God delivered him. He delivered him from death and he rose from the grave in the power of the resurrection. So with the gospel in my mind and the gospel in my heart, I now proceed. You see, David pleads his cause and then he prays to the divine warrior for vindication and deliverance. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. I'm repeating verses one to three just to get our minds back there. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise up in my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers and say to my soul, I am your salvation. Now here's what I thought about this week. Man, when it tells me to put on the armor of God and to pray in Ephesians chapter six, it's not just the armor of God. It is God who armors up. <laughs> I'm, I'm mirroring him. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who desire, devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind. This is Psalm 1, an allusion to Psalm 1. That the wicked are not so they're like the chaff. The wind blows, it just, they're gone. 
What's the wind that's going to drive them? Who? The angel of the Lord driving them away. So who's the angel of the Lord? It's in Psalm 34. Now we see it again twice here in Psalm 36. It's the only place the angel of the Lord shows up in the Psalms. He's clearly referring here, I believe, to Christ. This is a pre-incarnate explanation of how Christ is at work. He's the angel of the Lord, singular, driving them away. Let their way, This this is a horrible image. If you're not a Christian in this room, this ought to frighten you. It ought to. Let their way be dark and slippery. Can't find their way and slippery where they cannot get their feet. I walked out of Starbucks the other day with slick shoes on and almost busted. I was just checking to see if anybody was there. I could not get my feet under me. I don't know how I didn't fall. It was Fred Flintstone all the way down. Here's what he's saying is, when you start slipping, there's no getting away. Why? Because the angel of the Lord's pursuing them. Verse eight, let destruction come upon them when, the, when he does not know it. Let the net that he, did ensnare, that he hid ensnare him, let them fall into destruction. In other words, the trap they laid, let them fall into it. Verse 17, this is the second section. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lines. So when you, when you see him coming now to the second time, the second time through pleading his calls and now making his prayer, he's saying, Lord, how long is this going to go on? He prays this way in Psalm 6 and Psalm 13. We see the same question. How long, O Lord? Rescue me. Verse 22. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake, rouse yourself from my vindication, from my cause. This now personally becomes my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, Lord, oh my God, according to your righteousness. Praise God, we don't ever pray, Lord, vindicate me because I'm righteous. Vindicate me, Lord, according to your righteousness. Let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, aha, our hearts desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Then he shifts, he shifts. But let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say forevermore. Great is David. Uh uh-uh. uh. Uh uh. Why do you pray for the Lord for vindication and deliverance? Here's why you pray to the Lord for vindication and deliverance because when He delivers, you and everyone who sees it says, Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of His servant. John Calvin said, The words, Great is the Lord, appear to be said in opposition to the pride of the wicked who seek to obscure divine glory. In other words, another place in the Bible, God says, I won't share my glory with another. That's one of the reasons he's going to vindicate his name, brothers and sisters. He's not going to share his glory with another because great is the Lord. Now, David, if we're not already there, David promises Praise to the divine warrior for vindication. So he's anticipating that the Lord's going to vindicate and deliver him. 
Verse 9, then my soul, so when it happens, then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, and the poor and needy from him who robs him? Now, there, there are few people who seem to attribute deliverance to the Lord. They come up with some other reasons, you know, it's good luck or your own ingenuity. David declares that when, when deliverance comes, he's going to rejoice in God as the sole author, the only one who saved him. He says, all of my bones, from the core of who I am, everything about me, I'm going to praise the Lord. And one of the old Puritans ignited this idea in my mind. The bones of Jesus awoke at the resurrection to praise to the Lord. He didn't just rise in spirit. He rose in body. God delivered him. All right, that was free. This is a public praise. Verse 18. Again, he ends this section. He says, I will thank you in the great congregation in the mighty throng. I will praise you. In other words, I'm not just going to keep this to myself. I'm not just going to write this in my journal. I'm, I'm going to praise you in the midst of God's people. And, and, and they're, they're going to join and this praise is going to be continuous, verse 18. It's not going to be forgotten. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. This is going to be continual in our hearts and our mouths because of God's deliverance. David looks to and believes that God will deliver him. Now, what do you do with this? What do you do with Psalm 35? Because most of you in this room are going, I've never experienced anything like David. I don't know what that's like. Some of you, if, if, whether you're saying it out loud or not, are saying, hey, we live in America, we have religious freedom, we're not really facing this kind of thing. I, you know, I, I don't know why you're preaching this sermon. Let me give you two points of application. Number one, when faced with injustice and difficulty at the hands of those who seek to do us wrong as followers of Christ, we must respond personally with grace. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12 again and let's pick up where I left off. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm trying to be a good pastor in what I'm going to say next. Many of you grew up in a predominant Christian culture. I don't know if you're paying attention, but that is changing rapidly. Now, Bad way to say it. But the less Christian the culture becomes, the more hostile it will become. You say, are you sure about that? Just look at the rest of the world. Most Christians in the world don't experience the kind of peace and tranquility that we do as followers of Jesus. I think our children, and particularly our children's children, are going to know this sermon pretty well. There'll probably be a lot more sermons on Psalm 35 in the future. So what, what do you do when you're faced with injustice? Personally, personally, to those who are treating you unjustly, you respond with grace. Grace is what you don't deserve. You give them what they don't, you don't give them what they deserve, you give them what they don't deserve. To the contrary, verse 20 says, <laughs> So that means, that means this, the righteous God will get vengeance because he's right. He'll get right vengeance. To the unrighteous, 
to the contrary, <laughs> to, to those of us who don't do everything right, here's what we do. If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. For so by doing, you heap burning coals on his head. You say, well, why doesn't God feed the hungry? He is today. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It is the kindness of God that is withholding the coming of Jesus Christ and all of his vengeance. He has given the wicked another day to see his glory and turn to him. Do not be overcome by evil, he says, but overcome evil with good. Now turn to 1 Peter 3. Last week we thought about how Psalm 34 influenced 1 Peter. Now we see the influence of Psalm 35. In chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, he quotes directly from Psalm 34. Then he picks up this injustice. and He says in verse 13, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame." So the Bible's saying here, when we're treated wrong, we respond with grace, we bless instead of retaliate, and we're prepared for this moment when somebody says, what's wrong with you? Why would you respond that way? Let me illustrate. In the majority of the 20th century in Russia, it was illegal to be a Christian. It was illegal to gather as a church. There were believers spread throughout Russia. One such was a man named Dmitri. Dmitri's parents were believers. They shared the gospel with him. He was converted. And as a result of Dmitri sharing the scripture with others, God formed a church around Dmitri and he began to pastor a small band of believers. The Russian government found out about him. He was arrested and thrown into prison. He was in prison for 17 years. He was tortured regularly for his faith. And he was offered a piece of paper on an ongoing basis that said, if you'll sign this, we'll let you go. And signing it was saying, I recant the Christian faith. I recant the church. I will not associate with Christians anymore. Dimitri refused. Because of that, he continued to be beaten mercifully. Here's what he would do to maintain his strength and sanity. His father taught him and his family, because of the difficulty they faced, that every morning when they got up, they stood and faced the rising sun with their hands lifted and sang a hymn in Russian entitled, Oh God, Give Me Strength. So every morning for 17 years, Dmitri would rise at sunrise 
in his cell. Look toward the sun with his hands raised and sing at the top of his lungs, oh God, give me strength. He was the only believer in this prison. There were 1,500 murderers and rapists in the prison with him. While he would sing, they would curse him, scream at him, bang their metal cups and plates on the bars to try to drown him out. Over time, they began to hold their excrement. And while he would sing, those closest to him would throw it on him while he was singing in the mornings. And he continued. I don't know why they waited 17 years. But they came one morning to take Dimitri. And the way the prison was designed, you could see the execution place. They were going to take him and execute him in front of the rest of the prisoners. And as they were dragging him out of his cell, one by one, the prisoners came to the edges of their cell and lifted their hands and they began to sing, Oh God, give me strength. And by the end, all 1,500 of them having heard this song every day for 17 years, were singing on behalf of Dimitri. The guards got so freaked out, they dropped him. And one of them looked at Dimitri and said, Who are you? And Dimitri answered, I am a son of the living God, and Jesus Christ is his name. Now, Dimitri's story ended well. Shortly thereafter, he was released from prison and sent home to his family. And we know the Iron Curtain fell and he was able to proceed on as a follower of Christ. You need to know, my friends, Dimitri's story is repeated every day today. There are believers facing what Dimitri is facing right now while I'm preaching to you. So what do you do when faced with with or aware of injustice and difficulty at the hands of those who seek to do wrong to the followers of Christ? Well, we must pray for vindication and deliverance. So when we know about it, we pray with Psalm 28. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. I am helped. My heart exalts. And with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd forever. If you go to Acts chapter 4, turn there with me, you see the response of the church. The Holy Spirit descends on the people at the day of Pentecost. They begin to preach the gospel. God begins to work and to move and people begin to be converted and the church is added to daily. Peter and John are dragged in before the same council who just months before had sentenced Jesus to death. And because they feared the crowds, all they did this time was tell them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. To which Peter responded, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They threatened them some more and they sent them away. So what did Peter and John do? (laughs) They weren't good Baptists. They didn't go have a members meeting and decide, we need to take a new strategy. We need to tone it down a little bit. No, what they had is a prayer meeting. And it's recorded what they prayed. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it, who through the mouth of your father David, your, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the nation, Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and their rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. In other words, they tried to snuff him out. Here's how it played out. Truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, Jews and Gentiles, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, what? To continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So brothers and sisters, when I stand up here and I tell you, like two years ago, a year and a half ago, that Andrew Brunson, a pastor in Turkey, had been falsely accused of colluding against the government of Turkey and thrown into jail to use as a pawn, by the Turkish government to try to win over the American government, what do you do? Write letters to your congressman? Maybe, but that's not what you better do. What you better do is pull out your Bible and find Psalm 35 and begin to pray for vindication and deliverance. And what you'll find in my Bible in Psalm, Psalm 35 and Psalm 37, you'll find Andrew Brunson's name written. As I was pleading for, with God to deliver this brother and praise God he was delivered last fall. Still here on stateside, as far as I know, last I talked with people who knew him, he was still stateside. Pray for him as he recovers from what he endured. What do you do when you find out the Chibok girls have been abducted and held as slaves and pawns? You say, well, they've been released. Only part of them have. Some of those girls are still being held as human slaves. We don't know where they are. I don't believe that for a second. Our hope's not in governments. God uses governments, but our hope is not in governments. Our hope is in the Lord God. And we, we should pray for those girls with, with, with vindication and deliverance. We should pray against Boko Haram. And we should plead with God to deliver them. And because we're a church that is pressing to the edge of darkness, we're sending people and we know people. We know people today. We know individuals by name who are suffering for their faith. We better learn to pray this way. So I'm going to pray. We're going to conclude the time of preaching and we're going to respond with this song, the song of Moses. <laughs> we're going to sing Exodus 15 for a minute. We're going to receive our offering. Then we're going offline for those of you joining us. Thank you. Here's why we're going offline. We're going offline so we can plead specifically for some of our brothers and sisters. And we don't want to put them in any more threat than they already are by broadcasting around the world. So you, if you know somebody, you go pray for someone. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And I dare say there's still people in this room that don't know what to do with this. Lord, I pray that we would all see 
that you, the divine warrior, fought and gave your life to vindicate our sin and to deliver us as followers of Christ from the power of sin and death. I pray for those who have not yet trusted in you that today, Lord, they would turn for you, to you, and trust you. And for those who have, Lord, give them courage and also give them an awareness and a burning desire to pray for those who need courage today. So bless now as we sing the song of Moses, as we remember that you're the warrior. And we call on you to fight on our behalf. We plead and we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.